0: 102 in the afternoon this is the fan midday show appreciate you joining us whichever medium fits you best youtube over the airwaves or streaming we got you covered here throughout eddie garrison producing with jimmy cook i'm scott agnes and let's go right to the phone lines our first guest is evan sidery of forbes Forbes forbes.com covering the nba specifically the suns and they're up next tonight playing at 10 p.m eastern time if you your sleep schedule allows you to stay up. Denver at Phoenix tonight. Evan, thanks for joining us here this afternoon. What's thus far piqued your interest most about this series and and thus far the Nuggets leading
1: 3-2? Scott, Jimmy, first of all, thanks for the invite, guys. Really appreciate it. But looking at the, the series for Phoenix, I mean, obviously, do or die tonight for game six in Phoenix. I like the Suns to win this game tonight, but eventually I think the Nuggets will win this series in seven. Just – the lack of depth around this team for the Suns right now after the Kevin Durant trade, trading three of your top six players in that deal. Jay Crowder didn't play all year, of course, until he got to Milwaukee. But McHale Bridges and Cam Johnson, I think those two got loom large with their lack of wing depth. But overall, I mean, this has been a very fun back-and-forth series. Kind of my ex- expectations so far were the Suns. We're probably going to be in a very long, tough series with Denver. So it's been great so far. I mean, Three superstars, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker really showing why they are that.
2: Evan, if you're looking at the Suns offseason for a second, again, I know they're not fully laid to rest at this point, but when you look at how they can better build around what they're trying to do with Booker and KD, obviously giving up a ton within that trade to go get him during the season – why isn't it working right now? What's missing in your mind from the depth they gave up to why Kevin Durant being the superstar that he is, albeit getting older, can't make up that gap?
1: Yeah, it's such a convoluted question to me just because this team should have been very good. But obviously the big health questions around this team with two players and Chris Paul and Kevin Durant, whom the Taurus say not been able to play 100% of the games the last couple of years. We see it already throughout this series. Chris Paul hurting his groin, now going to be out the rest of this series as well. He'll be age 39 next postseason if he does stay with Phoenix. I think another big issue is DeAndre. Ayton. And I think for Pacers fans out there, I <laughs> yeah. think they dropped a serious, serious bullet last year when the Suns decided to match that offer sheet because he has not played close to a max player. If anything, he has regressed the last couple of years, especially defensively this season. It has not been pretty. For the Phoenix Suns defensively after trading away McKillbirds and Cam Johnson. There was a lot of pressure on Deion Drayton to be a great rim protector. He's been subpar to say the least at that. So he's he's a player to me that just he has so much untapped potential, but he never has realized it. I don't know if it's been a coaching issue. I don't know if it's more on him or not. But I looking back at what happened last summer and looking at the Suns now with DeAndre Ayton, they might have to attach an asset or two, and they're very they're running very low on assets to begin with now. After trading away all their first round picks through 2029 for Kevin Durant, so they're in a really tough spot here with an older point guard in Chris Paul and underperforming max contract player in DeAndre Ayton. They're kind of at a crossroads here where they might have to really retool on the fly. It might not be the best results.
0: You know how I see DeAndre Ayton is exactly the type of player the Pacers like to go after, even now. It's the guy that's underwhelming in his current role that maybe doesn't fit in. Maybe there's some distress, some uncomfortable uh, feelings, clearly, between DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, which is weird because Monty Williams is among the most likable guys in the league. But uh, we're joined with Evan Sidery of Forbes. But to me, Evan, to go back on Ayton, I, t- before we can evaluate you know they could have deal for the pacers last offseason if the suns did not match i think i want to see deandre in a different situation because right now it almost feels like maybe he's just bottled up and, and uncomfortable and just needs to be kind of set free and they wash their hands of and move on this offseason
1: yeah, I think that's the best situation for both parties here. I don't know exactly where DeAndre Aiden could, could land, though. That's the big thing. Nowadays in the NBA, unless you're a Joel Embiid, a Giannis, a Nikola Jokic, yeah. you can be dominant, simply put, superstar level. Who wants to pay a center $35 million a year? That's the big question to me. Like I mentioned, you might have to attach assets to even get off his contract. But I do agree, Scott. Like if he could go somewhere and be a 20-10 and 10 type of player – on better efficiency, I mean, that could definitely be in the cards for him. But covering Aiton throughout most of his career before I came back to Indiana, his main issue throughout his career was his motor, his energy level. And that's what is concerning to me where his aggressiveness and his energy level just is so inconsistent that you can't trust him on a night-to-night basis. And for a guy making that amount of money, that's just – you can't have that on your team. And just to counter, I mean, if you want to, Scott, I mean, do you think the pace at all – like, do you think they would explore – Deion Great, again, if the, the Suns circle back around and offer him for a lower price?
0: I think you listen to something. I don't think it's something you're actively pursuing um, and all that. And the point I was going to make is this is exactly why the deal they were able to negotiate with Miles made a ton of sense. Because yeah. right now they want to continue on with that partnership. It's $20 million. Basically, on average, over the next two years. That's very feasible both to continue on. But if you did get down the road, or maybe there was that wing asset that they've been after for five or seven years here, maybe you do have to include something like that. A team paying miles, 20 million, not bad at all. Incredible value. Miles at 30, 35 million, very difficult. And I I, I think that would one make him untradable for many teams that couldn't acquire him, but two. They would have to go outside their means. So the point here is, whatever the case with Miles, very good contract, and that's why the Pacers were so smart to use that, that new renegotiation window to make a deal that makes sense for both sides, Evan.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, just looking at the way that Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner played this year, we saw how important it is for him to space the floor and have that gravity on offense. And he showed a career-best year alongside Tyrese. And that's another thing with DeAndre, and I guess in the negative category, over five years, he's never improved his offensive game. It's been the exact same offense throughout his career. He hasn't expanded his three-point range He's been even more inconsistent mid-range. So, I mean, when you look at the stylistic fit, to be honest, a year later, I would have a, a, year, a year ago, I would have said DeAndre Aiton's a better fit next to Tyrese Halliburton. But now, a year later, I think it's cr- pretty clearly that Turner Turner's the better fit and maybe even the better player.
2: Yeah, and to clarify this statement on the front end, Demata Sabonis, a far superior offensive player than DeAndre Ayton is or probably mm. ever will be. Absolutely. But I'm not trying to go back down that rabbit hole of, oh, let's play two bigs out there and hope it... It turns into something special when you have a, a lesser offensive player like DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, I'm good. I don't need to answer that call. <laughs> Evan, I want to pivot for a second towards uh, the other series out west with Golden State and LA. We talked about this yesterday. I-, I saw the blowout coming. Scott and Eddie saw the blowout coming. We felt comfortable laying the seven and a half. That's ended, obviously ended up going away with that. But I still felt like yesterday, okay, it's fine. LA's going back for game six and they'll take care of business. Maybe it's just this team. Maybe it's being used to the Warriors always delivering and, and, and never folding in the Western Conference. That has shifted me now to where I wouldn't be surprised at all if Golden State takes this in seven. Where is your tone at all shifted on this series? And how do you think things work out uh, tomorrow night out in LA?
1: I haven't changed my tone just yet. I, I thought Lakers and stick to the beginning of this series. I still think they close it out tomorrow night in LA. But like you mentioned, just the. The overall concern with L.A. is obviously Anthony Davis' health. He took a nasty elbow to the head last night, so I hope he's okay. It sounds like he will play tomorrow night for them. But if he's not 100% or if LeBron James has been battling his foot injury all, se- all series long of postseason long, if he's not 100%, if he can't beat LeBron that we know, if they go in and steal that game tomorrow in L.A., I mean, I would definitely take the Warriors on their home court in Game 7. So that's obviously a winner go situation tomorrow. I would still lean Lakers in that spot. I mean, those demons, if if they exercise those demons in L.A., the Warriors do and win that game, going back to Game 7, all the pressure is going to be on the Lakers at that point, which is a big, big shift in the series.
2: Does that change your thought on the state of the Western Conference for who's getting out of the West? Because we talked about this earlier in the week as well. For me, if it's a Golden State win in seven, you might as well circle them in to be the Western Conference representative uh, for the finals in my mind.
1: So for me, I've been on this train uh, for the last week or so, and I've kind of shifted a little bit who I predicted. I-, I thought the winner of Suns versus Nuggets would eventually win the Western Conference Finals and represent the West in the finals there. I do think that the Nuggets will win this series in seven games, so I would actually lean toward Denver against the Lakers or Golden State in that series. Just the way that Nicole Jokic is just playing right now. Every single postseason, he gets better and better. He's about 32 points, 13 rebounds, and almost 10 assists per game. He's the first guy since Will Chamberlain in 1972 to put those numbers in a postseason. So he's put up historically dominant numbers. And I just have no clue how, like, an Anthony Davis or dare even like a Kavon Looney or a Draymond Green, have any chance against Nicole Jokic for a seven game series
0: talking with Evan Sidery of Forbes yeah that, that's why again to me Jokic would have been my MVP he would have been a three-time MVP I just think he's been statistically amazing Nuggets have been right there atop the to Western Conference throughout the season and right now I would say they're the favorites to win it all here and um, with this Warriors team in the in this other series it just seems Evan to me like there's way too much reliant on Steph and not nearly enough that they can count on game in and game out from really anybody else draymond when the when a big moment happens he usually delivers but right now clay hasn't been what he has jordan Poole, all right he dropped 11 one night he maybe get a uh and contribution from another role player different night to me they need more of known commodities right now and it's just steph and then we'll see
1: yeah it's crazy to say but i, I don't know about you guys but i truly really believe Kavon Looney's been their second best player in the postseason behind Stephen Curry for the Warriors. Which yeah. Isn't saying a lot about how good Clay and Draymond Green have been in the in the playoffs so far. I think some younger guys too, like you mentioned, Scott, Jordan Poole have been Really bad in the postseason so far. Very streaky, very inconsistent there. He needs to be better for the Warriors, too. And I do wonder about some younger guys as well. I know they treated James Wiseman at the deadline, but Jonathan Kuminga was a big part of their run last year. He's out of the rotation in Tylery. He was a great defender for him last year. He's, he's not able to play right now. I don't know why. I don't know why Steve Curry is taking him out of there because he fits a lot of what they're missing as far as versatility in their lineup right now. But Moses Moody, too, he really has kind of entered the rotation lately, been a good scorer as well. So it's actually a lot of pressure on, like, Clay Thompson to be the old vintage Clay Thompson to put up off its production. And also these young guys in Poole, Moody, Kaminga if he ever enters the rotation as well. It's kind of a, a roster for Golden State where if they do lose tonight or tomorrow night or if they lose overall in this postseason, I do think we see significant changes to that roster. It feels like the dynasty is kind of coming to an end here.
0: Yeah, you bring up the the – the extras in this, the contributors here. And Jamichael Green, for example, goes from starting in game two to do not play last game. Like it, it, they're searching for something. It's Gary Payton, the, the second starting. And then, you know, Wiggins has a decent game. I don't know. There's something clearly missing from this team. One of it, which is being a reliable Klay Thompson anymore. And then to your last point, Evan, I, I think that's the scary part is if they do lose here, what's next? And it all starts with the. Decision with general manager Bob Myers, his contracts up a lot of rumors and whispers about what he might want to do. Does he go elsewhere and try to also make a name for himself? But more than anything, he needs to be paid like the top executive, at least he believes. And so I think that's probably the first question that has to be answered from the Warriors standpoint.
1: Yeah, certainly so. He would definitely be the top free agent as far as executives go and really change any team he would go to if it's not Golden State. I have to imagine, though, that Joe Lake will pay up and pay Bob Myers whatever he wants because the architect of that dynasty, you can't just let him walk out the door there. And I think if they do keep Bob Myers around, I think the guy that's on the the odd man out list here is probably Draymond Green. He has a player option this upcoming year. I do wonder if he'll accept that or not. I don't know if he'll get a big offer in free agency. There's not a lot of teams up there. Uh, probably him $30-plus plus million a year at this point of his career. I, I do think maybe he's the guy, if, if he accepts that player option, you shop him around, try to get some more flexibility in there. This is just me spitballing, but We were just talking about one guy earlier, maybe DeAndre Ayton for like a Draymond Green type of swap for those guys. I mean, they I think both guys are fit, a need for that team there. But I do think someone like something like that, for example, Draymond Green getting flipped for another player, I think that could probably be the most realistic option for him.
2: Evan Sattery with us. Covers the NBA for Forbes. Evan, we have talked about throughout these playoffs that the pace that Devin Booker has been on feels unsustainable, and you kind of saw that at times the other night. I use that as a comparison to what's happening out east, and I ask you this. Is what Tyrese Maxey, Dwellen Embiid, and James Harden have done during this series against Boston, is that level of play and dominance sustainable? Because when you look at the roster... There's a strong argument to be made that if they really do want to capture their first title in 40 years, they're going to need that.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think you need this type of dominance from Joel and beat every single night at this point. Three straight games of 30 plus points. I think he'll get that again tonight in game six for Philadelphia. Tyrese Maxey, too, and James Harden, the more they play together, the more I like the result. Just James Harden can take more, he can save his energy offensively. I mean, we know he's not a great defender, but he save his energy offensively with you when he get hot. Obviously, Joel and Embiid takes some possessions off, too, for him where he can conserve that energy. This is a great spot for James Harden to finally kind of have his moment, in my opinion, where he could potentially be in the finals going against whoever maybe may be and getting his first ring. It just feels like it's kind of the Sixers, Embiid, and Harden's kind of year to me. And my finals prediction is going to be Sixers versus Nuggets just because those two teams just feel like on a collision course the last couple of weeks, really the last two or three years, it's been Jokic or Embiid, who's the best player in the NBA for many people. And to kind of have um, poetic justice really at the end of that, to have Jokic mm-hmm. versus Embiid for each guy's first NBA finals, that, that would just be incredible theater.
0: That's exactly where my head went first is, all right, now we get more Jokic and Embiid talk as if we hadn't exhausted that conversation throughout the year. Uh, that would make for some interesting chatter, to be sure. And and last thing on that series, Boston. I mean, we had Tom, Tim Bontemps on the show yesterday. He didn't really pinpoint uh, Joe Mazzulla with the Celtics as a reason why, you know, they're faltering right now against the 76ers I I beg to differ there I think there's situations where they've looked unprepared they haven't used the timeouts they foul lineups I'm you know Derek White should be finishing games I'm kind of over Marcus Smart what have you made from Boston the Boston Celtics right now Evan because more than anything they've been an utter disappointment second below the Milwaukee Bucks who are now already gone
1: yeah it's certainly so and I've been thinking to myself watching this series because we've all kind of known Doc Rivers to not be a tactical coach. He's been sort of on the bottom tier of X's and O's series adjustments. And I've been thinking to myself, Doc Rivers has kind of been winning the coaching battle throughout this series, which is not a good sign for the Celtics and Joe Missoula. So I'd certainly agree with you there. I think Doc Rivers uh, has been better than Joe Missoula as far as tactical stuff, X and O's. And the Celtics, I think, are in a spot where they can't let Missoula go, of course, for one year. He's led them to the best record in the NBA. But to now see the disappointment in the postseason, if they do indeed lose tonight or lose a series overall, I think there will be a shakeup there in Boston. And I know I was listening to the morning show with Kevin and Jake this morning. They were talking about it a little bit, but... Jalen Brown, I mean, he might be the guy on, on the outs there where if he doesn't want to play second fiddle with Jason Tatum anymore, he's now eligible for a $280-plus eighty plus million extension, making the All-NBA team. He might be the guy to watch out for here this summer as being the one big trade chip if he indeed does want to get out of there.
2: You mentioned the All-NBA teams. Evan of Forbes joining us. Those just coming out yesterday. Your overall takeaways from that? I mean, I know there's ultimately going to be heat from fan bases across the board, and they feel like players are snubbed. But just from what you saw from those All-NBA team announcements yesterday?
1: I'm not really surprised, uh, to be honest. I know some people would say Devin Booker and Phoenix should have got it. John Morant should have gotten it in Memphis. But I think both the players, uh, compared to the others that made it, I think the controversial ones. I think Damana Sabonis, former Pacers, certainly deserved to make his first All-NBA team with the way he played this year. He, him and and Fox both made the All-NBA 13 for the Kings, a historic year for Sacramento. So I have no issues with that there. I think just looking back optics-wise, I think it's kind of going to be funny to look back on in three or four years and say Nicole Jokic, the season he had, was second-team All-NBA. I just think at this point you should get rid of positions and have those guys be both Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic on the first team because they're the three best players in the NBA this year. But really, not, outside of that, semantics-wise, nothing really – that stood out to me as far as, oh, he should have definitely been on or definitely should have been off. Because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but this kind of feels it to me, the modern NBA, we're kind of entering a golden age of talent where there's 20, 30 legit guys in this league where you can make an argument to be on an All-NBA team each year, which is great to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would completely agree there. I probably wouldn't have had SGA in the first team. I mean, the team didn't have much success. (laughs) <laughs> relatively speaking he was outstanding. Sure. Uh I probably wouldn't have had Luca on the first team. Um Giannis how about him being unanimous though for the fifth straight year? Like that shows the level in which he's at. And and I think maybe the last thing here Evan is the interesting thing moving into next year is five of these guys on the this All-NBA wouldn't have qualified because now they're going to have to play at least 65 games. So we got to be prepared for some kind of shakeup even more be prepared to have a LeBron or Steph not even eligible, which I'm not exactly all in on. I think maybe you leave that up to the voter.
1: I think maybe this going the other way, just for a second on that, I just looking at recency history with a lot of these players, I think now with the incentive of playing more games, I could be great for fans now because I have a hard time seeing how you'll see guys rest on certain nights just for DNP rest, load management type of stuff. Those guys care about the accolades. They care about making those lists. They care about the extra money they make off of that. So I think for the NBA fans in general, I think you're actually seeing these guys a lot more moving forward here, which is certainly going to help out a lot.
0: Evan, appreciate the time. Thanks as always. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. That's Evan Sidery of Forbes covering NBA, specifically the Phoenix Suns.
3: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: Two o'clock on this Thursday afternoon. This is the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. Continuing our NBA talk, welcome in Joe Varden, senior NBA writer for The Athletic. And with Joe Versatile, we can go a number of different ways in which we will. But Joe, let's start with last night and the Lakers and the Warriors, that matchup. I didn't think it was a very pleasing game to watch. A lot of foul calls, a lot of mess going on out there, but the fact that we get a game six in this, do we think the Lakers have enough to limp into the next round, considering all the different factors going on?
4: Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, you've got two champions going toe-to-toe, more so on the Lakers' side, but if you think about LeBron's career, I mean, I think that kind of permeates through the whole franchise. With Anthony Davis, (laughs) I mean, I don't know what to say. You know, I mean, he's hurt all the time. Um, that one seemed odd last night that he, he needed a wheelchair, but it looks like he's going to be good to go for, for game six. So, you know, LeBron, the, one of the greatest things of his career, arguably, maybe probably the greatest thing in his career, is the 3-1 comeback against the Warriors in the 2016 Finals. And while his legacy is secure in this league, um, he he certainly does not want to give one back. Uh, he doesn't want to be on the wrong end of a three-one mm-hmm. comeback. So, I yeah, I mean, I think I think they're they're gonna you know they're gonna put it all out on the table, uh, obviously for Game Six.
0: I guess in part why I have some pause and all that. It, I mean, doesn't it doesn't look like LeBron's kind of sixty percent, sixty-five percent, still better than most players but if you don't have a, a full strength ad and it seemingly won't it's asking a lot much like it is right now with the warriors and and steph he, he has to go for 30 for them to have a chance to win a game
4: yeah steph does i i still don't think necessarily that lebron does i i think anthony will be okay i i do i mean just i have seen him over the last few years um you know, he he can go out there and go for 11 and 6 rebounds and shoot 4 or 15, you know, whether he gets knocked in the head or not. Or he can go for 30 and 20. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the inconsistency, I think, is is what it is with him. Um, it's an interesting point that you bring up with LeBron because um, he doesn't seem to be moving at that same playoff speed. He insists that he's playing um, – He's playing with what is around him, which he's suggesting that there is more around him than he's had in the past. I'm not sure I buy that. Um, you know, he did play a, a, a playoffs with Kyrie, Kevin, and J.R. Smith. Those, those are, you know, three pretty good players. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you, you, I guess I've been saying to myself that he is saving that big game, like that all-out effort, for a moment like this. So, yeah, I mean, game six against his arch nemesis, the reason that he only has four titles is standing right in front of him, and it'd be a nice little sweet uh, piece of revenge to to put them out.
2: Joe, do you think in terms of role players that this is the the best supporting cast he's ever had?
4: Well, I mean, the Heat were pretty good. Um, I I think that this team, you know, (sighs) because... In 2018, here in Cleveland, where I still live, they they did this like the Lakers did. They they totally reshaped the team at the trade deadline. They they moved like seven players.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh,
4: seriously, <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and then the Pacers almost put him out in the first round. That was nuts. Uh, but but the point is, he's been through this before. But this time, the job that that Rob Polinka did in Los Angeles was incredible. Um, and you know, I mean, from Vanderbilt. To Rui Hachimura, who he's never had a player like that behind him, I don't think. I mean, Jay Crowder would be the closest, and, and Jay didn't work out in Cleveland at all. Um, Austin Reeves is is streaky, but I thought was pretty darn good last night. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is, in, is an interesting player. And, and just kind of on down the line, like the Lakers now, by, mo- by, by getting uh, Russell Westbrook into a lesser degree, Pat Beverly, out. Um, and, and and supplementing the roster with the players they have now, this team fits better. So I don't know if I've answered your question, if this is the best he's ever had, um, but it works around him, especially at this stage of his career.
0: Joe Varden of The Athletic with us. Your latest story talking about not LeBron, but his son, Bronny James, and a cool accomplishment for him uh, committing to school, play at USC, basically staying home, which I found interesting, but really not too surprising because, if anything, LeBron can still look over him, can take care of him, can work out with him at the Lakers facility. Uh, did this kind of go the route in which you thought it would over the last several months?
4: I think so. I mean, I guess the homer – in me um wanted to do uh like I, I wanted him to go to ohio state sure um and partly i mean ohio state's really struggling right now. i mean i you know your listeners know that uh this has not been a good few years for ohio state basketball and so i, I guess I, I was hoping for the for the Bronny james sort of like jolt of life into that program but this does make a lot of sense and it goes it goes back to the thing that I talk about all the time when I talk about LeBron's final few years in this league, which is they love Los Angeles. And it's not just him. It is his wife. It is his children. They love it there. They love it. Like, they are so comfortable there. They are comfortable with the lifestyle. Um, And so as you try to do any math or look at how good or bad the Laker roster is, or what Bronny's draft status is, you, you have got to remind yourselves that that the the LeBron James family, the James game, they love living in L.A. And I, this is just this is another example of that.
2: Joe Varner with us of the Athletic, Joe, how different do you think the Eastern Conference, in, in terms of the star power within it, is going to look this time next year?
4: Well, so, I mean, are you asking
2: me? I I guess I'll, I'm sorry, that was was kind of broad. I mean, specifically with all the rumblings about uh, with Tatum and Brown out in Boston. I
4: I mean, I'm not sure they don't win tonight. So, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not ready to break <laughs> them up yet. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, Jim. You know, James Harden, I mean, he's almost been open about wanting to go back to Houston, so that's a weird one. Yeah. Um, you know, you wonder about the Raptors, what's going to go on there. Like, where's Wembenyana going to show up? Um, I really like the East a lot. Obviously, much tougher top to bottom than it has been. The Heat are just, like, making us rethink everything. Yeah. Um, what we thought was true in, in that conference, so I get your point um i i you know I, I mean i I understand that both that Tatum and Brown are both max eligible or super max eligible now and and I haven't looked into the 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 sort of the mechanics of all that. Um, but they've they've gotten so close with those two, close enough to where they should not break them up if if they can avoid it.
2: The reason I asked the question, and, and you mentioned Miami kind of throwing a wrench in all this and what they've done, is it feels like there could be, if you're a team that's maybe on the outside of the playoffs right now, and of course the, there's bias here thinking about the Pacers, but that yeah. as you're building out this rebuild, that that there is a... I would call it a power vacuum, but there is an opportunity to get yourself in that conversation over the next couple of years, maybe quicker than one might have thought, based on what we've seen out of the East this year.
4: Yeah, that's a great point, point. and it's something that I say all the time. Like if you if you're in a rebuild and you just stink, and your guys are too young, um, and you need three, four, five years, okay, uh, the, then you don't rush that. But if you are closer. Like, even like the Cavs, uh, for instance. Okay. But, but the Pacers, right, you know, the, before their injuries, the Pacers looked really good for a couple months. Um, and so, like, that that's a prime example. They are closer. And the East, and even to a degree the West, have shown you that if you are close, it is always worth it to take the shot because you don't know what else is going to happen. And the Heat are the best example of that. They absolutely could have laid down in the in the play-in decided like you know what it's been a crummy year we're we're going to be the eighth seed because we lost already you know we were in the conference finals last year forget about it and now look they're about to go back to a conference finals um because you just don't know and so yeah so i i mean i think if you're a pacer fan and you're seeing what's going on in the east now and you know what you've got in that room you feel pretty good and you feel like you're closer than you were when this whole thing started so you know, hopefully for the Pacers, they do take a little bit of a swing next year.
0: Joe Varden of the Athletic with us, and, and Joe, I think all season long we saw the level of parity across the league kind of increase. I mean, how so many of those teams in the Western Conference are separated by like a game or two. Uh, the back end of that Western Conference looking for uh, the postseason. I, I'm looking go back to the Eastern Conference, though, and many of the teams that you cover. And you could just go down the list, the top four teams, and there could be a lot of questions come the offseason. The Bucks' new coaching staff, do they remake the roster and to what extent? Boston, there's been questions with coaching and what you guys already have discussed here. Philly, you never know. And then I'm curious what your, how you feel about the team in your backyard. The Cavaliers, high promise, coming off a strong season led by Donovan Mitchell. Where do they go from here?
4: Yeah, Scott. Those are all. I mean, those are great examples. And then you, the Heat, the 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 Raptors are going to have a new coach. Uh, Brooklyn's going to take a step back. Um, you know, the Knicks. Another interesting discussion there. The Cavs. Um, I you know I think the Cavs are where they wanted to be and where they thought they should be. Um, very disappointing from a fan perspective to have lost in the first round in five games but the cavs kind of told you that this is where they were all the way back in september they told you they were better a lot better and they told you that that bringing donovan in and trading what they traded to get him certainly accelerated the timeline but it didn't it didn't accelerate it to the point where they had to win this year they did not upgrade the three. They went into the playoffs um, with with just a number of unproven commodities there at, at the three, and that, that proved to hurt them. Um, and they told you that they wouldn't be ready to contend until Evan Mobley is ready to contend. This was his first playoff. Um, there were some eye-opening moments for him after a really good season, especially in the second half. Uh, he saw what he has to do both as a basketball player and as, a, as an athlete uh, in terms of being uh, bigger and stronger and not letting guys like Julius Randle uh, being able to move him off the block like that. So there, there's a lot to look at f- from the Cavs' perspective. Um, they need to be better next year. I think there's ways that that can happen. Um, and, you know, you, if you're them, you want to get second-round conference finals so you can begin to make your pitch to Donovan Mitchell that that
3: he, that he should stay.
2: Joe, the next relevant date for Pacers fans on the calendar is next Tuesday night's NBA draft lottery. And and while we can cross our fingers as much as we want, they obviously have a low chance of ending up with Wembenyama. Looking at him as a player, though, and looking at the teams that are in the lottery, is there a perfect fit for him? Or do you think he'll work just about anywhere because of how talented he appears to be?
4: Well, I mean, I listen. I know he's seven four, and that he can shoot threes, and that it takes him like one and a half steps to get from <laughs> the half court line to, to no the kidding. rim. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I don't pretend to be a talent evaluator, so I'm I'm rocking with these guys who say he is a can't miss thing. Um, I think he fits anywhere because of all those of all those things. I mean, it's going to be on Victor. You know, again, I mean, what's going to happen when he has to guard Julius Randle? Like, he, he's, a, he's a kid, and, and he's got to fill out, um, and that, that could make for, you know, a, a tougher rookie year. Um, but as long as he avoids that freak Chet Holmgren injury, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's every reason to be excited for this guy. And, and, yeah, like whether it's the Pacers, the Hornets, the Pistons. I mean, imagine him in Orlando, next to Caro and some of those other guys. I mean, geez, like, th- th- there are a number of teams where you drop Wembenyana in there, and all of a sudden they are can't-miss uh, teams to watch every night.
0: Joe, this is where I've planted my flag. I think the Spurs with Pop in the last go-around would probably be the most interesting, both because of Pop and their development. I don't think Houston, Charlotte, uh, or Orlando are deserving of all of that, of how they would handled stuff, <laughs> and Portland... <laughs> Next to Dame is also probably number two. Talking about the bottom teams here that have the highest chance. Adding him to Dame in Portland and seeing if they could maybe take off for one last chance with Dame would be the, my second option.
4: You know what, Scott? That's a great point. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I want to talk about the, the Blazers for a minute because you, like, in this modern era of sports where guys leave all the time. And and so rarely, well, I guess, I mean, you could say Curry, you could say uh, Giannis. But, you know, we have stars that leave all the time. And Dame Lillard is one who did not. And you have to honor that. You have to be uh, feel good for him and the Blazers that he has not pushed his way out of there or left his free agency when he could have a, a number of times. Um, but it, it's like that storyline is getting tired. Um, it, it seems like they regress; that they're not getting better. Uh, the furthest they got was when he it was he and and CJ, and um, they they didn't have enough then. So like, wouldn't that be so, yeah? Like I think you bring up a great point. Like, why not? Let's drop Wimbanyama out there in Portland next to Nike, and uh, and just see how this goes. And <laughs> if it doesn't work out, then maybe Dame can head to New York or, or wherever.
2: Joe, you would be able to answer this question better than most considering the amount of time that you've covered LeBron. It feels like year after year after year after draft class, the next LeBron, the next Jordan, all the hype that is forced on these prospects. Is Wembenyama's hype and all the promo videos that are out there about him, is it the closest thing that we've had since LeBron in terms of coverage? Or is it not even... that point yet
4: well it's hard to measure because i thought that there was a level of of excitement with zion yeah and um i think the problem with that is we all forget because his career has been such a disappointment since he's gotten into the league i mean it just there's no other way to say it and so um i think that zion was at that level i think that victor playing in france um, has been a part, like, has kind of tempered some of that as to what it could be if he were at Duke or North Carolina or, or the Hoosiers, whatever. Um, but keep your eye on, I mean, he's going to get drafted before this happens, but the FIBA World Cup in the Philippines this summer, he, he's supposed to play, and France is already really good, and, you know, we're, we're kind of already headed towards this path of a USA-France semifinal um, that those are the two teams that met in the gold medal game in Tokyo, and if that happens again uh, with Wembanyama on the team, look out. Uh, you talk about fever pitch, uh, the hype machine. I think that would that would do it.
2: Could they win gold in twenty four? We, we had a conversation yesterday. I believe it was with Tim Bontemps, is, is the one that said it that he feels like they could contend and, and maybe win the whole thing outright in twenty
4: twenty four? Oh my! Of course. They, they could have won. They could have won in 20, right, right. in 21. Yeah. This, listen, I had a conversation with Nick Batum about this. Um, he is the team captain for France. This is his last cycle this year and next doing that. And then he will retire from international basketball. And he said to me that the 24 Olympics, which of course is in his home country are shaping up to be the best basketball tournament in world history. Mm, Uh, Think about that for a minute. I mean, yeah, like just the amount of talent. Like everybody expects Team USA to send an A team, um, you know, Durant again, Curry. Like people have talked about LeBron. And I don't mean like, you know, clowns like me. I I mean like 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 people involved in the picking of the players and, 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 and other players who play for other teams. They're saying that is what is out there. That the that the the cream of the crop, A-list Americans, are you know are headed to Paris, and we already know that France you know could have Gobert, could have Wembanyana, could have Joel Embiid. Um, you know we know about the Australians, we know about Luka Doncic, we know about Nikola Jokic, Jana Antis Kubo, just on down the, on down the line, it's going to be awesome.
0: Last thing for me, Joe, Joe Varden of The Athletic with us. You've covered a lot in your time since you moved to the NBA. Where does covering USA Basketball stack? Is that a top or maybe is it the LeBron teams just because of the the consistency of success and getting back to the finals?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you'd, I'd have to say still that those four years um, covering LeBron and Cleveland were okay. among the best four I've ever had. Um, but I, I love this beat. I do love covering Team USA, um, get to see the world uh, and get to see these, these guys who are stars in our country, who are in a unique pressure situation that they do not have in, in the NBA. And it, it is a cauldron, um, and it's fascinating to see how they, how they manage it. So, yeah, I, I really like covering that team.
0: Good stuff, Joe. Appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, Joe. Uh, same to you, bud. Thanks, guys. It's a friend Joe Varden of The Athletic. Great guy, lives in Cleveland but covers the, the league as a whole.